Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Look at Acts chapter 13. I I wonder, uh, as we look at this passage, verses 30 through 43, about the resurrection of Christ. And I I just think this is so cool. I'll never forget uh, Spiro Zodiades asking me something that was uh, in some ways very simple, but yet in some ways very, very, very profound. Why was Paul so bold? Have you ever thought about that? Why was Paul so bold? Why is it that he could go into these synagogues and, and, and he could go and proclaim the gospel and, and he could share with people Christ? He, he, could, he could get beaten. He could go through shipwrecks. He, all the things that he went through. And yet he continued to give praise and glory to Christ. He continued to be willing to be used by the Lord in, in everything, in every way. And I think there's a real simple answer to that, and yet it's profound, right? It's called the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He absolutely believed in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He experienced God's transforming power in his life. And as a result of God coming to live within him and the Holy Spirit taking up residence within his life, he was a changed man, and he made a choice to believe something that is factually true. And it impacted and changed Everything for him. Everything. How's it impacted us? When we talk about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we talk about the fact that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, how does that change our perspective of life? How does that change our activity? How does it change the way we look at people, not only believers, but unbelievers? How do we begin to function in life as a direct result of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? So I think as we look at a new year, I think that's, a, that's an important question to really begin to consider. Is my life fundamentally different Because of the resurrection of Christ. Because of the fact that I now have a restored relationship. I have entered into a fellowship with God himself. Not on the basis of my works. Not because of anything I've done or could do. But rather because of what Christ has done for me. Now Christ living in me. And his ability to do through me what he knows that I could never do on my own. How do we look at a new year? How do we begin to evaluate our lives. The past. And then look forward to what is it that God's leading us to. On the basis of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's essential. I think we all ought to take time to reflect on that. Paul goes into the resurrection, and he makes it very clear that this is the foundational fact that establishes everything that the prophets had said about the coming of the Messiah, everything that they said concerning uh, the anointed one, which proves that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Christ, is the anointed one, changes everything. Acts chapter 13, verses 30 through 43, just a beautiful passage. And I think if you want to summarize it in this way, the resurrection changes everything. As a result, every believer should walk abiding in God's grace. Abiding in God's grace. We're called to abide. We're called to fellowship with the Lord, to trust him, to be strengthened, to be transformed, to walk by faith. It should change everything. Three things this morning. And by the way, I love this without the pressure of having to finish. 
on time. I don't, this is great, man. That clock, these clocks can be all screwed up and we're good to go. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll get you out of here. God's a gentleman and I'll, I'll try to follow him in that. Um, three things, right? Recognize, believe, and abide. Recognize, believe, and abide. The first part here, verse 30 is such a beautiful verse. We looked at it last week a little bit. But God raised him from the dead. Man crucified him. But God raised him from the dead. Phenomenal moment there. Absolutely beyond words. God's intervention. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul deals with this in a factual way. Faith is not just checking your brain at the door. These are historical facts. And the first thing he does is he deals with the witnesses of Jesus, including himself. He's one of the witnesses. It's verse 31. For many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. Now, there, there are many witnesses, but I think here he's, he's specifically referring to the apostles. Those who came up from Galilee to Jerusalem. Apostles were from Galilee. They've been hand-chosen by the Lord as he entered into a time of prayer with the Father. He knew exactly what God wanted to do in their lives, and, and they were now his witnesses. We've seen that in the, the beginning part of Acts. It's very clear how Peter testified about the Christ. It's very clear how Philip testified. Many of them were individuals that were followers of Christ. They had been with him throughout his ministry. And upon the resurrection, the Lord appears to them in many different ways. Let me just give you some examples. There was the women at the tomb in Matthew chapter 28 where they came and, and they looked and the, the stone had been rolled away and they, they, they were shocked. What's going on? Who's taken the body of our Lord? And the angel comes and lets them know, hey, why are you looking for the dead amongst the living? What a beautiful truth. Or Peter and John as they run to the, to the tomb as a result of the testimony. There's the 11 disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, where the Lord comes to them. Or Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, verse 15. Or the 11 disciples in John 20. Or, or even Cephas himself, Peter himself in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul writes about the first priority here, which is the resurrection. 500 brethren at one particular time. The Lord comes to, appears to in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. You can see that story in Matthew 28 as well. And then all the apostles, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. We, we have the Lord appearing multiple times to multiple people in multiple arenas. This is a historical fact. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was not something done in secret. It wasn't something that was done behind doors. It wasn't a plan concocted by the leaders of this, whatever you want to call it at that point, in the sense of if it's a cult. I mean, are these people messed up? They're just saying these things in order to enslave other people and put themselves in power? No, this is something that the Lord revealed himself to the people to the witnesses, to those who were able to testify factually accurately that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. There's a couple of things that 
Paul then does. He, he's got an audience, right? He's, he's in the synagogue. He's speaking to Jewish individuals who are very familiar with the Old Testament, proselyte, Gentiles, God-fearers. And in verse 32, he deals with the sonship of Jesus. His sonship. He's unique. There's nobody else like him. Verse 32, he says, We preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. He's quoting out of Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And he's establishing the fact that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ establishes the prophecies from the Old Testament that were made concerning him. In this particular psalm, it very well may be referring to the raising up of Jesus regarding his kingship. He goes on in the next verses to deal with his resurrection out of the dead. But here he's talking about his exaltation. The fact that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man. He's the son of God. He's the king. He's the king. That's what we just celebrated this last week, didn't we? We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the the birth of the king. Who left heaven in order to come to this earth as a baby. In order to go to the cross to shed his blood so that we might have forgiveness of sins. The king. He's also, in this particular psalm, clearly of David's line. He's from David. He's of the line of David. So he's a king, and the resurrection out of the dead shows that he's the fulfillment of the promise given to David. And what's interesting is that Paul immediately, in verse 34, goes into that very fact. But he not only deals with his sonship and the fact that he's unique, but he deals with his superiority to even David. He's superior to David. He's of the line of David, but he's superior to David. He says, as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 55 verse 3, and he's dealing with the proof that because Jesus resurrected from the dead... He did not suffer decay in the tomb. He's unique. His body was even unique. David suffered decay. David died and was buried and decayed. Jesus gave up his spirit. He died. He was placed in the tomb. But his body did not suffer decay. Fascinating. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, which is, A clear messianic psalm. Paul again in quoting this in verse 35 says, Therefore he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Peter used this psalm in his Pentecost message in Acts chapter 2. The fact that Jesus did not decay, his body did not decay even as David's did, is significant because it reveals the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I, I don't know if you've thought about that or not, but why didn't his body decay? You ever thought about that? I, I would suggest it's for a very simple reason. He had no sin within his body to cause decay. That's amazing. The Lord Jesus Christ is unique. He's not like any other that has ever lived and or ever will live. He's the unique, only begotten Son of God. He's the King. His body, even in the grave, in the tomb, spoke of his superiority. I wonder how that impacts us. When we think about the future, we think about moving forward, we think about what this year holds, we think about all the different things that we think about. We, We reflect on this last year, we move forward into this new year, maybe we have a whole list of different things that we we feel like we've got to do better at. Not as much chocolate, right? Whatever. (laughs) I mean, whatever it is. But fundamental to that, do we have the idea of yielding afresh to Christ and saying, Lord, we just want to take one day at a time and walk with you in your grace one day at a time. We want to trust you with the results. We know that you're the unique son of God. We know that you're the resurrected son of God. We know that you've come to live within us, not because of anything we've done, but because we've believed in you and you've given us the right to become your children. And as a result, we're not our own. We're yours which means our time is not our own, which means our finances are not our own, which means our future is not our own. It's all his. And day by day, we just want to walk in that. If you want us to say something, Lord, here we are. We're vessels through which we want to see you glorified. And if you lead us to speak, may it be from your word. We want to have hearts of compassion. Lord, change our hearts so that we see the pain of other people. And we recognize what you're doing all around us. Help us just to day by day walk with you, saying yes to you. Walk by faith, being persuaded by you. Well, verse 38, Paul, having established the fact of the resurrection, having even gone back to the Old Testament and quoting from the Psalms in order for this audience that he's speaking to, in order to understand that the resurrection solidifies the fact that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Messiah now encourages them to believe. Verse 38 says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren. Right? Why is the therefore therefore? What's it there for? (laughs) Say that five times. I don't even think I got it right. (laughs) Because of the resurrection. Because this is true, therefore. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Wow. That's powerful. That's powerful for us today. Because it's through belief. Because Christ resurrected from the dead We have the opportunity, through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. We have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. Why? Because of Christ and what he did at the cross, because he resurrected from the dead. 
We have the opportunity to be freed from all things. Even the law of Moses couldn't free you in this way. How? Through Christ. Because he fulfilled the law. Because he paid the penalty on my behalf. Two things here, right? He says forgiveness of sins. That word forgiveness, offices, means to stand away from. The sin that is removed from the sinner. To, to literally throw away something. We looked at it last week, and we even looked at it Christmas Eve. Hebrews 9.22, according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no, what? Forgiveness. No forgiveness. No throwing away. No standing away. No removal of sin from the sinner. Wow. Secondly, freed from all things. The word freed here is interesting. It means justified, just as if you had never sinned. Freed, justified, made right with God. Not on the basis of works, not on the basis of effort or sincerity. Well, I tried. My intentions were, no, no, on the basis of what Christ did for us at the cross. Freed, justified, made as if one had never sinned. It's in the passive, meaning that's what the Lord alone can do on our behalf. On our behalf. <laughs> the question is, as believers, are, are we walking in that? Are we walking in that freedom? You know, what's interesting to me is that where Paul is at the, in this particular region of the world on his first missionary journey, very shortly after this, he wrote to the Galatian believers, some of whom may have been right here. And he tells them it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not place yourselves back up under a yoke of slavery. What a beautiful truth. So we're freed means we're justified with God, means we don't have to try to strive any longer in order to accomplish a righteous standard that God knows we can't make. We can't match that. Only the Lord was able to do that for us. Now as believers, God in us begins to transform us so that through us, who he is begins to be revealed. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, one of my favorite passages. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify, means to set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Paul to the Galatian believers is reminding them of this fact. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you received from him the payment that he made on your behalf. You recognize that Jesus Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified. You recognize your need of what the Lord alone was able to accomplish. The resurrection establishes this as, as a fact. And now as believers, we have the opportunity to walk in the newness of life that God has for us. Why are you placing yourself back up under the old system? The old covenant. 
Why aren't you walking in the better covenant, the new covenant, where you can experience freedom? Paul continues, and he actually warns them of unbelief. He quotes out of a passage in Habakkuk. In verse 40, he says, Therefore take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Paul's simply taking an Old Testament passage where they were marveling at what God was doing, and they were, they were really in consternation about it because God was raising up the Babylonians in order to punish his people. And they, they, they couldn't accept that. It was difficult. They couldn't believe They refused to believe. Paul's saying in the same way, look at what God has done. Look at the awesomeness of how God has provided salvation. Make sure that you believe. Make sure that you don't doubt God. Well, the whole picture here of the resurrection, what God has done, what God has accomplished, the fact that we're encouraged to believe, Paul in verse 42 encourages us to abide. Abide. I love that word. To remain within. To continue within. To walk with God consistently, resting in him, trusting him, walking by faith. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, they conclude their message, Paul does. And as they're going out, the people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. That word begging means to call upon or to implore them. Why? Because it's a message of life. They had the Old Testament. They had all the prophecies. They had all the predictions of the coming of the Messiah. They had all the different factors involved there, but they had never heard it brought together in the way that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul brought it to them, and they were imploring them, come back next week and keep sharing with us these words. Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, Many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. This is a beautiful picture because he's urging them to continue in the grace of God, to abide in the grace of God. Evidently, these people were saved. They believed. There were some of the Jews that were there. There were some of the God-fearing proselytes, the Gentiles, who went with Paul and Barnabas. And they wanted to continue to hear what it was that they had to say, what it is that they were teaching. They had evidently believed in their hearts, and Paul and Barnabas were encouraging them to abide, to continue on in the grace of God. The word urging here means to encourage or convince, to persuade to continue. It has an element of faith in the midst of it. Keep on believing. Keep on having faith. Don't grow weary in doing good. 
Don't allow this message to somehow be sidelined by the things of the world, by religion. Keep on. Keep on. Abide in Christ. What were they to continue on? What were they to abide within? The grace of God. Folks, I want to encourage you this this morning. As we look at a new year, keep on. Abide. Walk with. Rest in the grace of God. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk with him. Trust him. Be persuaded by him. Be convinced by him. He's able No matter what we see, no matter what we can measure, no matter what we think, we know that God is in control. We know that God is adequate. We know that God is able to make us adequate. We know that we have the opportunity of experiencing him every day. Keep on. Continue on in the grace of God. I think this is a beautiful picture of a new year. When we think about a new year, we think about what God has for us, and we think about all the different things that could happen, might happen, we hope will happen. Keep on. Continue on in the grace of God. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, as the Lord is speaking about abiding, which is the idea of continuing on, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Did you catch that? If we don't continue on in the grace of God, if we are not abiding in the grace of God, if we're not being strengthened by the Lord, if we're not being transformed by the Lord, if we're not saying yes to the Lord, walking by faith and believing the Lord... If we're not in the word of God and our minds aren't being renewed, if we're not growing in our relationship with the Lord, if we're not being transformed by him, where's the fruit going to come from? See, what he's saying is you absolutely cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, separated from me, you can do nothing. Not one thing. Fill in the blank. What is it that you want to see happen in your own life? What is it that you want to see through this church? What is it that you want to see God do? Understand that apart from him, we, me, You cannot do one thing separated from God. Not one. You want to see people come to know Christ? You want to see however many baptisms the Lord provides? I do. You want to see every one of these chairs filled up? Absolutely. I want to see this church grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ in a way that is amazing to behold, that we can all testify to the glory of God. But if we're separated from Christ, not one thing can take place of eternal value. Not one. Not one. You want to see your neighbors come to Christ? I do. You want to see Albuquerque changed and transformed? I do. You want to see New Mexico impacted for the glory of Christ? I do. You want to see the whole Southwest impacted by the glory of Christ? I do. You want to see this nation changed? And oh, do we need change? I do. 
And I think you do too. But let's not lose sight of this one right here. Because apart from him, we cannot do one thing. Not one. When he says to continue on in the grace of the Lord, to be convinced, to be persuaded that it is through Christ and him alone that any of these things can take place. I think he says it not only to these believers here, he says it to all believers everywhere, no matter what age that we're in. Are we willing to walk with the Lord day by day, trusting him, being persuaded by him, saying yes to him, being changed and transformed by him, so that through us, he will begin to produce his fruit. Because apart from him, we cannot do one thing. Keep on believing. Keep on abiding. Colossians 2.6 says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. If you go back in Colossians to the very beginning in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, in chapter 4, there's a, there's a verse, there's a phrase where he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and he concludes and he says, understood the grace of God in truth. He's speaking and he's writing to believers. And he's saying to them in the context of as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. He's saying, how have you received him? It's by faith. How is it that you came to this knowledge? How is it that you came to this understanding? It is because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the working of the Holy Spirit in your life to persuade you that you are in desperate need of him. And by faith, you believed in him and received him and were given the right to become children of God. And Paul's commending these believers. And he's saying, we have heard of your faith. We have seen your love for all the saints. We've seen the impact of your walk with God. Your faith in Christ. The fact that you understood the grace of God in truth. And then he encourages them as you received him. So keep walking in him. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Because God is God. And God is able. I love Galatians 5.22 where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and he gives us a whole picture of what love really looks like. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's singular. So everything else coming out of love is, is just a, a picture of what love is. Perhaps in a different uh, arena. Like, uh, I, ladies, you have diamonds on your fingers and this is how I like to look at it. The diamond is love. But depending on what light you put that diamond underneath... You see something unique about that diamond. You see the way the light reflects out of or uh, through that diamond in a different way. So depending on what, what circumstance we may be in, in the midst of it, joy may be something that is brought to light. It's from love and all the other characteristics are there, but maybe joy is highlighted. Maybe peace is highlighted. Maybe faithfulness is highlighted. Maybe self-control is highlighted. How does all that take place? Is it because we just woke up one day and we wrote a list of things that we're going to do better at this coming year because it's a new year and two weeks into the new year we go, oh man, I messed up again. No, it's because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Keep on abiding in Christ. Keep on walking with Him. Keep on believing in Him. 
Continue in the grace of the Lord. And God will transform each and every one of us as we say yes to him so that his love is produced through our lives in all the different facets of love. Galatians 6.10, he says this, So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all the people and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Beautiful picture. As we yield to the Lord, as we surrender to him, as God transforms us, being actively good, seeking out someone else's benefit will become a part of who we are because God will lead us in that. He will empower us in that. His life will be revealed through us in the midst of that. We don't grow weary in doing good. Why? Because he's our strength. In Ephesians, he says, be strong in the strength of the Lord. You're concerned about something you may face this, this year? You're not sure what it may be? Be strong in the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord because he is strength. He's our strength. Abide in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's God doing in your life? What what is it that you're facing? What are the circumstances that you may be going through? Maybe the things that you're looking at over this coming year, you're not sure how it's going to work out. You don't know what's going to happen. I'd be willing to bet if we walked around the room and if I, if I took and I played Oprah and I took a microphone and I went to every person, everybody would have something. Am I right? What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen? I mean, we could go through this list. What's Paul saying here? Continue on in the grace of the Lord. Abide in the grace of the Lord. Walk with God. Trust God that he can produce his fruit in and through our lives. He can produce those good works through our lives. Are we trusting him? Are we resting in him? Are we looking to him? Are we growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ? Is our relationship with him where it ought to be? Or maybe there are things we need to confess. Maybe there are things we need to agree with the Lord about. Maybe we need to get right with him in order that he then, through us, as he transforms us, will begin to reveal himself, will begin to produce the good works, the fruit that we want to see. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.